be seated. Now we commend to you for a project, maybe this afternoon or some other time, if you take your bulletin home and just look up the story behind that particular hymn, what was going on in the life of Henry Light when he wrote it. And it would be a great blessing to you to see how, even in the midst of such trials, the Lord produces that to give such a great song of praise to the church. And as we get ready to begin uh, going through Ruth, Children, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and get out your children's bulletin. Make sure you have that with you. We're going to be using that. You have your own translation in there and a place for you to keep notes. If you'd like one and don't have one, I'm sure uh, an usher or a deacon can get you one if you'll just let them know that you need one. And for the rest of you, we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It's printed in the ESV in toto for you in the bulletin. Of course, you're free to turn there in your own Bibles. Before we go there, just to remind you of where we've been in the book of Ruth here, is Naomi and her family uh, go to Moab in fear because of a great famine in the land of Bethlehem where they live. While they're in Moab, all the men die. And so she repents of going to Moab and comes home. And one of these Moabite widows, Ruth, comes to. Ruth casts her lot with Naomi's God and goes with Naomi to God's people back in Bethlehem. And so they get back there, and it turns out that once they're there, Naomi is, well, a bitter old woman, as we saw last week. She's convinced God has it out for her, but the chapter ends in hope. It's the time of harvest. The famine is over. There's food, and and there's work available. And so the question hanging at the end of chapter 1 is, what is going to happen to these two un attended women now. So with that in mind, let's look together at God's word. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. 
How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, as we come before your word this day, Lord, we thank you for condescending to us to give us your very word. That you have not left us blind and wandering, and, but you have spoken, you have guided. And so, Lord, we ask that we would receive your word. May it change us this day. May we grow up into Christ, see the gospel, and endeavor after new obedience. Holy Spirit, apply this word to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the biggest problems for Christians that I've noticed after half my life basically in ministry is that many Christians know but they don't actually believe the gospel. They know the facts of the gospel but they don't really appropriate that reality into their lives and they fail to accept God's complete acceptance of his people. And we do that very often because we have this tendency to constantly root our acceptance, constantly root our security, not in the gospel, but in our performance, our religious works, our behavior, rather than in the work and performance of Jesus. And when that happens to us, we get stuck in an immature, ungrowing faith. We're, we're tossed about by the shifting sand of our own performance because when you get right down to it, we're just not that good at Christianity. And we need a lot of forgiveness. And when we root our security in that, we just have no security. And so instead of being grounded in God's love on which He then builds us up to maturity through obedience, we get stuck in an immature faith because we struggle to accept God's grace. It's a very similar problem in this passage in Ruth today. She has left her Moabite past. She has clung to Naomi and her God, and she has gone with them to Bethlehem. And Ruth now must live among God's people. She must trust God to provide. She must trust that she is also one of God's people now. But she has her doubts, and she has her fears. Not just about God, but she's got some questions about God's people. You ever had any doubts about God's people? You ever had any doubts about God? Well, then this text might be for you. Here's where we're going today. Kids, write this down. I want you to know where we're going. I'm going to sum this up so so everybody uh, can have just an idea. Dads, please use this throughout the week in family worship to remind people of what God's teaching us on Sunday. It's this. When we doubt God's love, He uses faithful believers to show and tell us. See, boys and girls, did you like, you like show and tell? Do they still do show and tell in school? I love show and tell. I aced that class. That's what this passage is here today. God is going to show us how he uses people to show and tell us the gospel when we struggle to believe it. So when we don't believe the gospel, we strive out of fear and doubt. And then even when God does bless us, we see all the reasons why he shouldn't bless us. And so we kind of deny that blessing until someone comes along and shows and tells us the gospel again. 
So let's jump right in and see. First thing we're going to see is how doubting the gospel leads to fear. The text just kind of begins and says, you know what, there's a big man in town named Boaz. And he just happens to be a distant relative of Naomi. So Naomi, who comes back and says, don't call me pleasant, that's what Naomi means, call me bitter, because God's made my life so terrible, I've come back empty, I've got nothing. Now the author throws in, oh, well, she does have a rich uncle in Bethlehem. Not quite nothing there. Many of us would love to have a rich uncle around to all of a sudden be there. But she, she's still bitter. She's called herself Mara being truthful. She is a bitter old woman sitting around the house. And so Ruth takes initiative and says, um, I'm hungry, Mama. I'm going to go glean. Is that all right? And she says, go ahead. Now, gleaning. What is gleaning? This is wonderful provision in God's law where he basically told farmers, he said, okay, it's all my land. It's not your land. I'm letting you have it in your clan to take care of, but ultimately it's mine, and so I want my land to take care of all of my people. Therefore, when you harvest, you're allowed to go through once. If you drop something, don't go back for it. If you leave something on the vine, don't go back for it. You leave it, and the very edges of each field don't harvest at all. And the poor, the widows, the downtrodden, the disabled, all those people, if they are willing to sweat, you let them come, and they can pick up the leftovers. They can glean what you have been left behind. It's a wonderful provision. It's the the Old Testament version of Paul's New Testament thing, which says, if a man does not work, he should not eat. God says, here you go. We have provided the means. If you're willing to work, there is food for you. Now, we know throughout the Old Testament by the various prophets coming along and saying, you're not doing it, that this was not popular. You can imagine it's not popular. Most of the guys would go through and try to completely clear-cut the fields. They would hire professional harvesters who were really meticulous at getting everything. But it was a gracious provision. And so Ruth is going to go and engage in that. But before we get too idealistic about this, let's be candid. This would be like you and I trying to provide for ourselves by collecting and selling aluminum cans. We'd probably avoid starvation, but barely, right? I mean, eventually you can only eat so many ramen noodles and you've got to have some vitamins. So that's what she's doing here. But she's going to do something. So verse 2, Ruth says, basically, I'm going to go see in whose side I shall find favor. Maybe I can find favor. Maybe I can find grace. And that's kind of the crux of this text. Boys and girls, I don't want you to miss that. So look with me at your verse 2, what it says here. Ruth actually asks the question in verse 2. She says, can I go gather the harvest for the poor wherever I find grace? So she's looking for grace. She's confessed belief in the God of Israel. She's abandoned her old life to be part of his people. She's afraid. She's unsure if she'll be accepted as part of God's people. But she says, I'm just going to go try. In her fear, she's not lazy. She gets to work. And what's great is God uses that. When she steps out, look what happens. Look with me, uh, everybody, in in verse 3. says, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Don't you love it when they throw things like that in there? Oh, she just happens. She just happens to have a relative who's Boaz. Oh, Ruth just, just happens to show up in this field. And so let's get this straight, right? This guy who's described as a rich, worthy man just happens to be a relative. Ruth's wandering around, just happens to show up in his field. And the next verse tells us Boaz just happens to show up when she's there. That's a lot of just happens, isn't it? See, the writer here is being uh, purposely, excuse me, purposely ironical. 
He's, he's going the opposite way, saying, yeah, just happened. Think air quotes, okay? Just happened to try to emphasize God's providential hand. She gets up, and he's guiding her right there behind the scenes. See, this is the beauty of God's providence. It's this wonderful mystery. And if anybody ever comes to you and says, I can completely explain God's providence, run, because they're not telling you the biblical truth, because it's still mystery, a mystery. But basically, it kind of works like this. We get up and move and act and somehow God has already ordained it and works already with us. So we work, God works, and wonderful things happen. His control, his sovereign providence does not negate our efforts. Ruth's request to glean, Naomi's permission, Ruth's choice of a field, Boaz's decision to check on the field at this time, they're all instruments in God's hands to bring about his purpose of blessing Ruth and Naomi. <clears throat> So we see Boaz shows up as the story continues. And it's not just that he's a substantial, important man. Actually, if you go back in verse 1 with me and look at verse 1, it says he is a worthy man. This is actually that great King James phrase, a mighty man of valor. He's a hero in God's eyes, in other words. Boaz is a covenant hero. And he confirms it when he shows up. He shows up and he blesses his employees in the name of the Lord. That's not a common thing. Don't explain away. Well, that's how all Israel talk. No, this is unique for him to show up to his, who? His employees and say, the Lord bless you. Like most people I've talked to seem to think that their bosses tend to have horns and a tail, right? Does your boss usually come in and bless you in the name of God? And then do you feel like blessing him back? Well, in a, blessing him in a good way back? You see, Boaz is a real covenant man. All that stuff in synagogue that happens, all that stuff in the temple, he actually believes it, and he lives it out. And it's apparent in his life, and so his employees reflect that back to him. So he's looking around at the field, and he notices a new face, so he goes over to Johnny College, who's holding the clipboard, and he says, hey, um, who, who's that woman right there work for? I don't, I don't, what subcontractor is she? I don't, I don't recognize her. I don't want you to miss this boys and girls so here's how he put it for you but look with me at verses six and seven in your bulletin it says this the manager said oh that's the girl from moab everybody's been talking about the one who came back with naomi she asked if she could gather up the grain we leave for the poor and she's been working at it all day see folk have been talking about ruth saying good stuff about this moabite girl actually her her devotion to naomi her, her faith in the God of Israel and coming here. And now her work ethic. All these things commend Ruth to this community. But this passage also shows us that Ruth is still working in fear. We're about to see it explicitly, but it's kind of hinted at here. Remember, this is after her conversion to the God of Israel. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, she made a clear expression in, the, in Old Testament words of faith in the God of Israel. Put her lot in with him abandoned her old ways and said you're my god this is after she's done that this is after she's been planted right in the middle of god's people in bethlehem she is still striving to be accepted by god's people she's working really hard so that these people won't kick her out because they didn't like moabites really she's just like we christians who even though we've been born again fundamentally don't believe the gospel and so we strive to make sure God really loves us. To make sure others think highly of us. Because we don't really believe God has done all that's needed 
and that all we have to do is rest in his grace that changes us and then serve him. We think, oh, I've got to serve him more so he'll love me. And we strive to try to impress just like Ruth does here. See, but God's been working in Ruth's life. She doesn't know it yet, so she's just trying to make things happen. She has doubts and she has fears, and so she ends up basically explaining away God's blessing when it does come. Let's, let's follow along in the story. Turns out, Boaz knows who Ruth is. And this is amazing. In verse 8, he talks to her and he calls her daughter. Which, by the way, back in verse 2, the first time Naomi speaks to Ruth, since chapter 1, when she was, oh, fine, Ruth, if you're going to come, you're going to come. And she stops talking to her, it says in verse 18. Now, the first time she addresses Ruth, she doesn't call her Moabite. She doesn't call her daughter-in-law. She says, daughter. And here is Boaz calls Ruth, not Ruth the Moabite, but daughter. See, the writer is hinting. She's not a Moabite anymore. She's family. She doesn't believe it, but they do. So what's Boaz do? Boaz tells her, okay, look, I want you to stick with my women employees. I want you to glean with them. See, what would happen is the professional harvesters would come. They'd grab a bundle of stalks. They'd, they'd hit it with the scythe. They'd gather it up. And once they got too big of a stuff to carry, they would just dump it and they'd move on. And the women came behind them and grabbed those piles and tied them up into bundles to be picked up later. And so instead of her getting the leftovers, instead of her gathering around, she's actually getting to stick her hand in the cookie jar. She's getting to do something really amazing. This, this kind of gleaning is really amazing. Here's, here's, I'm going to give you an illustration of this. Okay, I know we've got these around here. Anybody ever seen a cotton field after the mechanical picker has gone through? You see post-harvest? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, I know. Oh, come on. They're right, right down the road. Uh, okay, yeah. So, you know, the mechanical cotton picker leaves it a lot of cotton behind. And Nikki's family, um, until this past year, were actually very large cotton farmers in Arkansas. And her uncle tells this story about how when they first switched to mechanical pickers instead of using an army of people, that all the teenagers in the family were required to go back through afterwards because their grandfathers couldn't believe how much cotton was left over. And so they would get paid to go and pick the cotton. And the problem is, is if you've seen the hopper from a mechanical cotton picker, it's got all the burrs and it's got chunks of stalk in it. It's not pure, beautiful white. Whereas the hand-picked cotton is pure, beautiful white. Well, her uncle, I think it was Danny, probably was Danny. Her uncle Danny, as a teenager, he gets there and he hasn't got that much. So he just goes to the mechanical hopper and he just starts putting his back. And of course, duh, right? As soon as grandpa comes and sees it, like, oh, and he, I'm sure he was very old school disciplinarian on him I would imagine and took care of it but see Boaz is basically telling Ruth look you can stick your hand in the mechanical hopper go ahead get it all you don't have to do it by hand get as much as you need follow around go ahead it's an amazingly extravagant gift and then he tells her you know what what I want you to do I don't want you just to go in this one field I want you to follow my work crew around tomorrow when they go to this field and the next day when they go to this field and this entire month as they're doing the barley harvest and since it's early when they come back to this field to do the wheat in a month you follow them there and you follow them around so are you, you're going to be fed for the next six months are you, are you okay with that it's an extravagant and costly gift and what does ruth do before such an amazing gracious gift she doesn't believe it she asks what's what's the catch why are you doing this? Look with me at verse 10, how she asks it. She says, Why have I found favor in your eyes 
that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. Notice what she hoped for, even prayed for in verse 2. May I find grace? May I find favor? She confesses she's received it here. She just can't believe it. Because see, when God's people doubt His favor and His grace, we doubt His blessings too. We explain them away. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 10. I want you to understand this too. It says this. She says, Why have I found grace with you? I'm not one of you Israelites. I'm from Moab. See, in spite of her belief in God, in spite of leaving her old life, she doesn't think she's really in with God or really in with his people. So she says, I'm not one of you. I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. You don't like Moabites. And we too, when we struggle to believe God's grace, when we don't believe the gospel, we live out of fear. We live out of that kind of doubt. We say, God's not really pleased with me. I'm not really in with God. He's always a little disappointed with me because I'm always a little disappointed in myself. And so God must be disappointed in me too. I can't believe that I'm fully accepted. I just don't believe it. In spite of the blessings he keeps pouring on us, we see all the reasons why he shouldn't bless us. And then the writer here gives us a great picture in the rest of verse 10. Look with me. It says, what's her reaction? She fell on her face, bowing to the ground. This is actually worship. Throughout the Old Testament, these verbs here, fall on your face, bow to the ground, are used together constantly to depict worship unto God in the sanctuary. See, this is what sinners are supposed to do before the overwhelming grace of God. Those of us in Christ, are we amazed at the grace that we get? And do we come to church, therefore, from the heart, wanting to worship God out of gratitude for what He's done, to come and say, I'm a sinner, you've been so kind to me, I want to worship and bow down before you? Or are we mainly here to be entertained and amused, and if it doesn't happen, you'll let somebody know? You see, when we church folk don't believe the gospel, that sinners like us are fully forgiven and accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ has done? When we don't get that, we not only explain away God's blessings, but we don't really worship Him. Because without the gospel, God is not worthy of our worship because it's all about us and our moral efforts and our behavior and our works, and He kind of is a hindrance, so we're coming to really worship ourselves. So entertain me, make me happy, make me feel good, keep it on time, and we're good. That's what church is about. Or if you recognize I'm a sinner deserving judgment and God has given me kindness, then you come to worship and bow down. Who are we? You see, like Ruth, we need to know our unworthiness. But we don't need to stay there. In our unworthiness, we need to see the greatness of Christ to save great sinners such as us. You see, it's when we don't think much of the work of Christ that we come to church to be pumped up for our efforts instead of worshiping God for his efforts. We should ask with Ruth the question, why did I attain this grace? And then we hear the the answer that you've done nothing to attain this grace. You don't deserve this grace, but Christ has paid the debt for you and brought you into God's family. Then we worship and bow down. 
you have your bulletin, I want you to turn back to the very beginning or they'll put it up on the slide. We have this great quote we found for you from John Bunyan addressing this very same issue because Christians have struggled with this for hundreds of years. Here's what he says to his congregation about this issue. He says, It is not my good frame of heart that makes my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that makes my righteousness worse. I'm going to stop right there. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's not your good frame that makes your righteousness better? I don't, I don't think many of us actually do. Nor yet my bad frame that makes my righteousness worse. We, we, don't, we don't believe that either. We, we think it does. He goes on, For my righteousness is Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. See, our righteousness is Jesus Christ, not the shifting sand of our behavior. And we confess Christ as Lord. His righteousness is our anchor. And if we would believe that, then we would quit doing this. I've been a bad Christian today. God hates me. Oh, I did, I did pretty good today. God loves me. Oh, I did bad today. We would, we would stop that and say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's not just a song we sing. It's a truth that we hold on to. Where are you in that? Because when we doubt God's love, He doesn't leave us there, thank God. Instead, He brings faithful believers to show and tell us. And He does that so we can see the truth, so we can know the truth. So Boaz has done part of that. He has shown her the blessing of God. He has been the instrument God has used to show her His blessing. And now He's going to explain it to her because she still doesn't get it. Kids, look with me at your verse 11. Here's where He starts to explain it to her. Boaz said to her, I've heard all about what you did for Naomi. Even though you were a widow too, you left your whole life behind to come with Naomi to us. See, Boaz answers her right at her point of need. She can't imagine God, she can't imagine Boaz accepting a Moabite like her, showing grace to a foreigner like that. So he talks to her right at the need. We know who you are, we know what you did, and we love you for it. There's more going on here than we catch in a first reading. I, w- I want to look at the ESV version of verse 11 now. So everyone else, look with me at your verse 11. Where it says, he says, I know how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. You see, an original reader would pick up on that language, something that you and I miss. An original reader would look at that and say, well, that's exactly what Father Abraham did. Father Abraham left his land, left his people to follow after a God he did not know and go to a place he did not know. See, the writer of the book of Ruth here is screaming out, Ruth is far from a Moabite. She's a daughter of Abraham. She has the faith of Abraham. And in case we miss that, Boaz makes it explicit so we can't. When he prays for her in verse 12. Look at what he prays for in verse 12. That little phrase he says, Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Boaz recognizes her as one of God's people. She has cast herself on Israel's God. She has sought him. She's trusted him. And Boaz looks at her and says, Because you trust in the same God I trust in, that makes you my sister, your family. You fit in here. You're accepted here. Boys and girls, I don't want you to miss this, so look with me at your verse 12 too. Here's a, here's a kind of more literal translation. It says, I pray that our God will make up for all bad things in your life because you clearly trust in Him as your God now. See, that's what she's saying. 
how he's saying, excuse me, he goes, it's obvious that you trust in the God of Israel. He's your God. You're my sister. So he not only prays for her, Boaz does everything in his power to be the answer to that prayer, to be a means of blessing in her life. Let me ask you something. How many of you want to make a difference with your life? How many of you desire to matter, to make just something? Most of us do. Can I just, as your pastor, tell you, stop daydreaming about some extraordinary situation that could possibly pop up in your life where you could stand up and show greatness. Instead, look around at the ravages of sin in your community and go make a difference doing something boring and mundane that makes a difference to somebody else. There's plenty to do in Orangeburg that no one's going to know about but you and God and maybe that person, and that's okay. That will be great, and you will be a blessing. Boaz helped to change Ruth's life. She has been shown in word and in deed the truth of God's grace. And it finally gets through and she gets it. So she confesses in verse 13, I have found favor. She hoped and prayed for it in verse 2. It's the exact same phrase. She disbelieved it in verse 10. Exact same phrase. And now she accepts it in verse 13. Kids, look with me at your verse 13 so you don't miss it either. She says, God answered my prayer. I not only found grace, but you've also encouraged a nobody like me. She gets it. She says, I'm a nobody. There's nothing about me to earn such favor. It must simply be a gift of this gracious God who made me one of his. You see, Ruth is a Moabitess. She was a Moabitess. She has now learned this God of Israel is not my father's God. That Moabite religion she left was all about performance. You had to give blood, preferably human blood, to get a blessing from that God. Tit for tat, more blood, more blessing. There was no grace for the needy. There was no acceptance by God's grace. It was all about earning it by suffering. But now Ruth has been taken on this journey to recognize, no, the God of Israel is not like that. He is a God of grace and favor to the least needy. So she sees her need. She expresses her prayer. God hears it. God answers it. She doesn't get it. Boaz confesses it for her. You're an Israelite, Ruth. You're not a Moabite. You trust in the same God. And Ruth accepts his testimony. And she's encouraged and comforted. Because when we doubt God's love, he sends other people, other faithful believers, to show us and to tell us about his love. So as we wrap up, what do we do with this? Well, Christians, dear Christians, those of you who, who know you're in Christ, Quit looking at your moral efforts. Quit looking at your behaviors. Quit looking at how you do as your basis for security and hope on a daily basis. I mean, yes, you can answer the trivia question. Yes, I'm saved by grace. But day in and day out, you base how you think God feels on you on how well you think you're performing Christianity. I know you do it. Stop, because that's not the gospel. And it keeps you in this immature, exhausting religion of anxiety and fear. 
Instead, look at the righteousness of Christ that covers you and believe it. See that you were fully accepted by God when you confessed Christ as Lord. That's a gift of God's grace, and He's not going to take it away. And then rooted in that security of grace, you can then grow up to a mature, obedient faith of peace. Now, if, you're, if you know Christ, and you're sitting here, and you're like, uh, Pastor Sean, I am not relating to what you just said at all. Man, praise God, you're a Boaz. Go talk to the numerous Ruths in this room who need the encouragement that you can offer. Go be a blessing to them. And for you non-Christians, those of you like, I don't know what this Christianity thing yet. The marvelous grace of God comes to outsiders. People who don't know God. People who aren't God's type. Those are the kinds of people God brings his grace to. God sent a covenant hero, a mighty man of valor into Ruth's life named Moaz. Named Boaz, excuse me. And he has sent another covenant hero, a mighty man of valor into your life. His name is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ lived the life of obedience that God demands of you. Make no mistake, when it comes to the law and to, and to obedience, God is unflexible, completely unmoved. He requires you to be holy. He demands it. He says, be holy. And Jesus Christ has come and he has earned that for you so you don't have to. And then all of the sins you've done, Everything you've done that has broken other people's hearts, everything you've done that has broken your heart, everything that has broken God's law and, to be candid, made God angry at you, Jesus Christ absorbed that anger for you. That is the gospel. He has earned your righteousness. He has paid your debt. And now you can be free and holy before God. You can even be adopted as a member of His family if you don't know Him. He offers you that. Complete acceptance. A life of peace. And it's all a gift of His grace. If that's interesting to you, let's say, I would just encourage you to forget everything you think you know about Christianity, everything you've called religion, and simply just place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as God's only Son. He will show you the rest. And you can be accepted and secured like family. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we do thank you and praise you for the grace you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have said over and over again that it is while we were sinners that you sent Christ. And that it was, it was not after we were worthy that you saved us. It was before. Lord, we pray that you would help we Christians who are, get stagnant, who get slothful because we don't believe in your grace would you help us lord to be rooted in your gospel so we can grow up to maturity and peace send us boazes to speak and show truth to us we ask and lord we ask that those who do not know you that you would be true to your promise that as jesus christ has been lifted up you would draw all people to yourself do your great work of salvation this day we ask in jesus name amen would you please stand and let's respond.